0: Tonight, I thought we would talk about friendship. Proverbs has a lot to teach us how to be wise with our friends, how to be a good friend, how to discern who a good friend is. And in this season of your life, it's important to understand biblically what a good friend is and the effect it has on you. Friendship is a huge issue. And so we're going to dive in by looking at just one verse, Proverbs 13, verse 20, which I think is a good summary of the wisdom literature on friendship. And then we're going to branch off and look at some other verses in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. This is what Proverbs 13, verse 20, this is God's word, which I think, I believe God has wisdom for you tonight from his word. Just from one verse. Just, if you could apply this one verse, there is wisdom here for you tonight. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. It is so simple. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So simple, and yet so many people don't understand the wisdom of God's word in Proverbs 13, verse 20. This one verse has transformed my life. Seriously, this one verse has changed the course of my life because... It transformed the life of my best friend, my wife, Elizabeth. When she became a Christian, you were eight years old, and the very first message she heard as a Christian was from Proverbs 13.20, and it changed her life. As a young girl, as a young Christian, she figured out that she had a choice in who her friends were, And that choice would affect the person she would one day become. And she applied that one verse. She took that one verse. It's what she knew. And she applied it to her life. And she chose to be around wise friends. Godly friends. Friends who would take her to church and encourage her to follow the Lord. And over the years, God provided good friends to her. I mean, that's pretty obvious. He provided good friends, you know provided a good friend to me. She is my best friend. She's a good friend because she learned from good friends. It changed her life to just take that one verse, and she just lived it out. I'm going to be around wise people. I'm going to attach myself to them. I'm going to go where they go. I'm going to do what they do, and it changed her life, changed my life, changed our family's life that she applied that one verse, and so I don't know who did that message, but I'm thankful for him, and my prayer is God's word can have that kind of effect on you. You take one verse and you apply it to your life and you live it. It can change your life. Applying this one verse, this one nugget of wisdom can really impact the rest of your life. Because this, this verse makes a statement about your close friendships. And, and the message is that the friends you choose, that's important here. It's the friends you choose will inevitably affect the person you become. When you, looked at, when you look at your future self and who you want to be and what God has for you and the impact for his kingdom and for his glory that you want to have, the main means of grace God's going to use to help you get there, Proverbs thirteen twenty says, is the people that you choose to be around and call your friends. And so Solomon is telling a teenager like you, he's, he's pulling up a chair next to a teenage son, a teenage daughter, and he's saying, Listen, choose good friends. Choose godly friends. Tonight, think about who you know that could help you grow to love God more and make a plan to be around that person. Whoever you think about, whoever you look around the room at, whoever comes to your mind, you're like, you know, that is a godly person that makes me love God more. I'm going to make a plan to be around that person and make them my friend. And the text is really, Proverbs are often written this way, where there's two alternatives. It's it's a comparison. The text has two comparisons, two alternatives, good news and bad news. What do you guys want first, good news or bad news? Bad news, that's what I always chose, and that's how I wrote the whole message. Bad news is first, so thank you. You chose wisely, wisely, because I want to end on good news. You don't want to end on bad news, so you always want the bad news first. You guys are very wise, I can tell. You want the bad news. Here's the bad news. Okay, point number one, just two points tonight. Point number one, the bad news is that the companion of fools will suffer harm. You will suffer harm if you are a companion of fools. And and he's talking not necessarily about physical harm, but spiritual harm. You will suffer harm in your soul if you are a companion of fools. Uh, there's, There's a biblical story that I always think about that illustrates this for me. It comes from 2 Chronicles 24. It's the story of Joash and Jehoiada. And you don't have to turn there. Um, We're not going to read the whole account, but I encourage you to go to 2 Chronicles 24 because it's a startling illustration of the outcome of the friends we choose to be around. You may remember the story of Joash. He became king when he was seven years old, king of Israel. And he had an advisor, a mentor, a friend whose name was Jehoiada, he was the priest. Now, he was over a hundred years old. So just picture this. I mean, a hundred-year-old man and this seven-year-old boy become best friends. This is the story of Up long before Up was written, okay? This is what's happening in the story here. And Jehoiada taught Joash God's word. And he told him, this is what it means to be a godly king. This is what God calls you to do. This is what God commands you to do. And he helped him and he taught him and he counseled him and he was with him and and he met with him and he met with God's people with Joash. He was right by his side. And it says that Joash was a good king. He did wonderful things for Israel. He restored the house of God, the temple. He led God's people to worship God and to give to God. He tore down idols that were tempting them to worship false gods. And this went on for 30 years. They were best friends. They were always together. And and, and he was doing great as king. And this can't last forever because he's over 100 years old. So when Jehoiada was 130, he died. Joash was in his mid-30s, okay? Joash lost his best friend, his mentor, his counselor. And what happened is after Jehoiada died. The princes around there of Israel came to Joash. And it says that they flattered him. And they began praising him. And this is when the story turns, when it says these words. Then the king listened to them. He listened to them. He listened to their flattery. And what happens is really tragic in 2 Chronicles 24 because he abandons God and he begins to serve idols because the princes led him. His, 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 his companions around him caused him to suffer harm because he listened to them. And he led the people of God to do this, to abandon God and serve these idols. And it, what ends up happening is Jehoiada's son, Zechariah, comes to him filled with the Spirit of God and corrects him and says, you know better, this is not, he was a good friend. Zechariah was a good friend and Jehoiada had had these companions, these fools, and he ended up uh, killing Zechariah. And he what ends up happening, the tragic end of the story is Joash himself ends up being killed by the very princes that flattered him that claimed to be his friends. He suffered harm Because of who he listened to. Who he surrounded himself with affected who he was as a person. Joash had a faithful period of his life when he had a faithful friend. And he had a rebellious, ungodly turn caused by corrupt friends. He became a companion of fools. Proverbs chapter 1. Solomon says to us this in in chapter 1 verses 10 and 15. He says, my son... If sinners entice you, do not consent. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, being enticed, being persuaded to walk with them. The common term we use today, which is a modern term, which the Bible had long before it existed today, is the term peer pressure, right? That's like the the psychological term we use, peer pressure. Uh, Proverbs 1 communicates it as being enticed and persuaded by sinners. We feel pressure. We know that feeling of being in a group and everybody is doing something and and the conscience that we talked about before, having that conscience that's telling you, I'm not sure this is right, but you feel the pressure to conform. You feel the pressure to go with the group. That is sinners enticing you. Proverbs calls it the fear of man. This is Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare. It traps us. It's like a trap that that ensnares us and captures us. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man, man, I think what happens with the fear of man is it ensnares us because we follow along. We care more about what people think about us than what God thinks about us. And when we give into the fear of man, what happens is we give in to the companion of fools. And we're enticed and persuaded by sinners to do what we know God would not have us do. It's why fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we fear God, it's so much, it, it's, it's pure, it's clean, it's right, it's so simple. You know, when, when you fear man, you're going to find that all of these friends, these companion fools, they're going to take you on a course like this, and it changes day by day. They're like Joash's friends where they, they flatter him and they get him to do what he wants and then they end up killing him because they're selfishly motivated. That's what it's like to fear man. It's so nice to fear God because all you have to do is go, God, what, what do you want me to do? And God tells us in his word and he gives us his Holy Spirit. and He gives us our conscience informed by his word and the Spirit and it's so much nicer and our conscience pricks us. And we, we don't go along when we fear God. We need to be most concerned, Proverbs says, with what God thinks about us, not others. When we have the thought, what will my friends think? And we go against our convictions, our, our what our parents have taught us, then we've given in to the fear of man. And we become ensnared by it. And this is This is what a bad friend does. They pressure you, they entice you, they persuade you to do something that you know God would not have you do. That's the definition of a fool. A godly friend would say, hey, if you're not comfortable, hey, you know, the Lord says this, or is this okay? You know, I I wanna fear the Lord. A good friend fears the Lord. Here's what J.C. Ryle says about the fear of man. He says, it is terrible to observe the power I love this. The power which it has over most minds. He's talking about the fear of man. And especially over the minds of the young. Few seem to have any opinions of their own. Or to think for themselves. Like dead fish. They go with the stream and tide. What others think right, they think right. And what others call wrong, they call wrong too. That's what the fear of man does. That's what giving into this. That's when we're a companion of fools. I love that picture. We're like dead fish. We're just floating downstream wherever it takes us. And what's scary about that quote is we live in an age, a culture, that calls evil good and good evil. And if you just go along with it, you will abandon God. You will not trust the Lord because they're getting things backwards. And so if you have the fear of man, you're going to be pressured to go with the flow. And it's going to tempt you to disobey the Lord. Uh, I remember uh, me and Freeman, we were listening to a message recently. uh, Just listened to a message about a guy who was teaching a sixth grade class. He had a sixth grade class of students. He said 60 to 70 students. And he did this experiment with them, which I don't like experimenting with sixth graders, but they're easy to mess with. So he was messing with them. So he got two guys down and he said, we're gonna gonna do a skit and we want you to know what you think about it. So he had the two guys leave the room and go out of the room. And then he told all the other sixth graders, hey, we're gonna do a skit about what is right and wrong. And then I'm gonna have everybody in the class stand up When I ask them, do you think that is right? And you have to vote by standing up. But I want you to all vote the opposite of what you think is right. So if you think it's wrong, when I say you think it's right, stand up. So he does this to the whole class. And he brings these two poor victims into the room. And they don't know what's happening. And they act this skit where this guy steals from somebody. You know, something pretty obvious. Where he steals something and they act it out. And then he says to all the the sixth graders, you know, do you think it was okay for him to steal. And all of them stand up that, yes, they think it's right to steal. And he said, you can see those two kids going, huh, 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 you know, like, and he said, and every time they stood up, every single time he did the class, the two other kids, because everyone else was standing up and you're thinking, is something wrong with me? Do I not understand the skit? Maybe stealing is good. I don't know, you know, but he did the whole illustration to teach them. It takes courage to go against the whole group. It takes courage to stand on your convictions. when everyone else is standing up or everyone else is sitting down. it takes courage to fear God and go different, especially from those you call your friends. It really takes the fear of the Lord. Uh, I remember last year the last year or two years ago, there was a college student who came to cornerstone, and I remember meeting him one of his first times here. And talking to him and learning that when he went to the University of Tennessee, he did this class, this leadership class, before school started his freshman year. And they had a class where they were trying to, you know, have these discussions on values and what you believe. There's a, like a hundred people in the room. And I think I've told you about this before, but it's so strong in illustration of this. And they asked a question about whether you would support homosexual marriage. And, you know, if you could support it, you stood on this side of the room. And if you couldn't support it, you stood on this side of the room, which I think is wrong for them to ask that question, but they did it. And this guy was a Christian. he was a freshman, first time at UT. And he went to the side of the room that said, I can't support this because God's word says I can't support it. And he found himself the only person in the whole group on that side of the room. And 99 other people were on this side of the room. And then the guy leading the whole thing said, okay, I want each of your groups to select one person to represent your group. And you're going to tell us why you believe what you believe. Which I would have just started laughing at that point like, I guess that's me, you know. And he actually did a wonderful job. He wasn't self-righteous. He wasn't angry. He said, I don't hate anybody. I love people. I love everyone, even homosexuals. But God's word says that I can't support that because marriage is defined by God, not by me. And he did a great job defending himself. And this is always what happens when I've heard stories like that. This happened to me when I had this class in college and just got annihilated by everybody for supporting roles of men and women. Uh, and, And people came up to me afterwards. But this is what happened to the guy. All these people came to him and said, you know, I really agree with you, but I was too scared to stand over there. And I was standing on that side, and I saw you standing all alone. And that guy became a witness to so many people of fearing God and conviction. Uh, And listen, if you go with the 99, that's where our culture is going right now. And if you fear man and you go with the 99, Proverbs says you will suffer harm. Your soul will suffer harm. Who your companions are, who your friends are, who you spend time with affects your soul. So what do you do? What do you do if you realize, I'm, I, I have friends who are fools. I, I'm a companion of fools. So this is what Proverbs 14 verse 7 says. It says, leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. It's pretty simple. Leave. Leave. Leave their presence. That's, that's God's word to us. Proverbs 14 verse 7. Leave the presence of a fool. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in their presence. You can leave. Proverbs 22 verses 24 and 25 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Don't make friends with them. Don't, uh, don't be in their presence. Bef- be reach out to them. Yes, sure. Invite them to church. Absolutely. Love them. Share the gospel with them. Yes. But to be their friend, to be their companion, to take their value says your soul will suffer harm. It's the bad news of this text. The companion of fools will suffer harm. But point number two, the good news is, the flip side of this, there's a promise here for your lives as well. The good news is whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. There is a promise here that you can apply to your life. If you surround yourself with friends who are wise, you will become like them. You will grow in wisdom. You will grow in the fear of the Lord. You will grow in loving God. You will grow in knowing God. You will grow in making wise decisions and using discernment and having convictions for God's glory. If you surround yourself with wise people, if you do that, it's, it's contagious. It's a promise for you that it will affect your soul the friends that you surround yourself with. And I think that the friends you're looking for is that one guy by himself, the one guy who stands up for God. If I was in that class and I was a Christian and I saw that guy do that and I was on the 99 because I'd given in to the fear of man, I think Proverbs, Proverbs would say, walk over there and become friends with that guy. That's the friend you are looking for, someone who fears God. It's the friend who says, you know, I don't know if this is wise or I don't think I want to watch that because I don't think that's going to serve my soul right now. You know, instead of leaving the presence of that one, you want to become friends with that person. You want to say, well, let's hang out and talk because I want to learn how you got those convictions. I want to be wise like you are wise. I used to read this quote from J.C. Ryle, which said that disease was contagious but health was not. I used to read that quote, and then I thought about it, and I and I thought, you know, I don't think it's like one of the few times I've disagreed with J.C. Ryle. But I don't think that's true. I think Proverbs thirteen twenty says health is contagious spiritually. That if we surround ourselves with wise friends, we become wise. It is contagious. We learn from them and they rub off on us and we see what they value and we become wise. I think spiritual health is contagious. Now it takes a work of the Lord and we need God's grace in the spirit but Proverbs 13.20 seems to indicate if I surround myself with people like this I will become wise. Here's Proverbs. Here's the goal. Proverbs 18.24 Okay? a man of many companions, the NIV translates that unreliable friends, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs would say there's many fairweather friends, okay? There, you can have a ton of companions. It's better to have a few friends who stick close. It's better to have one, two, or three friends who will just stick close to you. And you know, they're closer than a brother. They're going to stick with me. They're going to be there. They're going to encourage me. They're going to correct me. They're going to help me. It reminded me when I read that, a friend sticks closer than a brother. It reminded reminded me of the book of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three friends. You remember the whole story about... um, The the, the golden image Nebuchadnezzar set up of himself and he called everybody to bow down to it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the law. They knew God's commandments that you can't make a carved image and you can't bow down to any other gods. And so they refused to bow down to this image and they did it together. They stuck together. I'm sure it would have been much harder if it was just one of them. But the three of them together said, no, we're sticking together. And we're going to follow the Lord. And we're going to bear the consequences together. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not Quickly broken. That's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. It's this tight-knit group that wants to follow the Lord, and they stuck together. They honor they honored God. You remember what happened when they got thrown into the fiery furnace? And it says that they were in there together. But do you remember what else was going on in the furnace? When they looked in there, there was somebody with them. There was a fourth person. Nebuchadnezzar looked in and he said, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. They weren't alone. They feared God. They stuck together. They honored God. They resisted the pressure to conform to what Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to do. Everybody else, thousands of people, everybody else was conforming and bowing down. And in the midst was three men's interlocking arms standing together saying, we're going to follow the Lord and we're going to bear the consequences for that. And as they did that, God honored their faithfulness. And it wasn't just three, there was four, because they were not alone. Christ was with them. God was with them. He will not forsake you. I promise you, if you fear God, and you stick together, and you honor the Lord, God will be with you. This is John 15. It says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's a great definition of friendship. Who will lay down their life for you? You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. As we keep reading through the scriptures, what we find is in Christ, we see what a true friend is. He lays down his life for us. He sacrifices himself for our good so that we could know God better. It's a great definition of friendship. Laying down your life, serving, loving someone more than yourself. So not only is this about who we should surround ourselves with, but it's also about what kind of friend are you? Are you a wise friend or are you a foolish friend? Do you encourage your friends to love God more? Do you encourage their convictions? Do you encourage them to be faithful and honor God? Or are you a fool? Do you encourage them? Do you entice them? Do you persuade them to do things against their conscience and their convictions? What kind of friend are you? Christ shows us what a true friend is like. And a couple last proverbs I will tell you about what it means to be a true friend. Okay, a true friend will be honest with you and they're gonna help you grow. It says Proverbs 27, six. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If someone is honest with you about sin, about how you're struggling Maybe if you sin against them, they go to you and tell them and tell you your fault between the two of you. That is a good friend. Those are faithful wounds of a friend. A wise friend will challenge you, will correct you, will hold you accountable, will call you out if you're doing things that disobey the Lord. A true friend is someone who sharpens you. This is Proverbs 27:17. Last verse for tonight. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Real friendship is like sharpening the blade of a sword. By ourselves, we become dull and blunt, and we lose our edge, but a good friend sharpens us for God. It makes us sharp. You know, it sharpens our our conscience and our will. It helps us to love God more. And here, is the application tonight of Proverbs 13 verse 20. You have to pursue this, okay? You can't be passive when you look at this verse. It's whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. It's it's your decision who you decide to walk with and be friends with. We have this notion today. I remember having this growing up where it's like, I have no idea how I became friends with who I became friends with. I I was telling somebody this last week, but I think growing up, I went to eight or nine. I think it was eight schools between kindergarten and 12th grade, eight different schools. So every school I went to, I had to make new friends. And and I can't remember ever choosing a friend. It was kind of like who I sat with at lunch or who was in my first class or who my mom worked with. And I had a lot of foolish friends growing up. Uh, And Proverbs tells us, no, 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 no. This is how it works. You choose who to walk with. Who are the wise people? Who do you want to be your friends? And I just, I want to tell you, um, when I look at the story of Jehoiada and Joash, and I see Jehoiada is like 100 years old, and Joash is seven years old, this whole notion that our friends have to be the exact same age as us, um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where that comes from. I don't think the Bible says that. I think whoever the wise are, probably for a lot of you, your parents are very wise. And they're gonna walk with you and you'd be wise to say, you know, I wanna learn from my parents. I wanna be wise. My parents, they're an authority over me. And yes, you know, they're an authority figure. But as I grow older They're increasingly going to become my friends, my counselor, my mentors, those who are wise, who can help me along the way. And I think on top of that, I think God can also provide good friends in relay. I think in church, God can provide good friends so you can enjoy time with and spend time with. But together, if you have wise friends, they're going to say, hey, your parents seem pretty wise. You know, maybe we want to be wise like them and do what they say. And they're encouraging us to do this. But the main point is, you you decide who you walk with. And it's real simple tonight, the application. If you are a companion of fools, you are going to suffer harm. Years from now, could be months from now, could be a long time from now, you're going to look back and say, how did I get here? How did I suffer harm? And you're going to realize it's because of who you surrounded yourself with. But the good news, the promise is, That if you walk with the wise, if you look around and say, who's wise? I want to be around those people. If you walk with them, you will become wise as well. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. And then we're going to have a time of discussion as families. Well, Father, I pray not just for the teens here. I pray for the parents here as well. Because we all need good friends like this. And so I pray you would make us wise. I pray my burden for the teens here tonight is their godliness, their love for you, that they would grow over the next two and four and seven years while they're in Relay. I would love for them to graduate from Relay and be wise, godly young men and women. And according to your word, that That's going to depend a lot on who they listen to and who they spend their time with. So I pray you would make them wise tonight. I pray that you would provide good, wise friends for them. I pray that they would have good relationships in our church, that they would encourage one another and challenge one another and provoke one another to love and good deeds and good works, that they would outdo one another in showing honor and and serving, and they would challenge each other to serve and to lay down their lives for each other. And I pray for the the parents here as well for those who feel lonely or don't have good friends, that you would provide good, wise friends for them as well. And all of us, Lord, we need you. We're dependent on you, and we need help. We need good relationships. And for those here who look around and they think, man, I'm just surrounded by wise friends, I pray they would thank you and give you all the glory. This is your work, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to have about 10 minutes to kick off discussion as families. If your parents aren't here, uh, you can jump in with some parents who are around you, other families. You can grab a member of our A-team, Will's in the back, and I don't know where everyone else is sitting, so find a member of our A-team around. Here's the questions tonight. How have you seen Proverbs 13, 20 to be true in your life? So even now, whether you're in sixth grade or you're a senior, look at who your friends have been and the effect they've had on you. How have your friends encouraged you? And how have your friends harmed you? Number two, are there times when you have found fear of man to be a snare? Or a time when you felt pressure to conform to what everyone else was doing that you weren't sure was the right thing to do? And then finally, number three, what are some practical ways you can pursue being a good friend to others and pursue a godly friend.